Today on Government Matters, a milestone for the government's watchdog, the Comptroller of the United States, on where his agency is going in its next hundred years. Intel for the Biden team on what's working and what isn't across the executive branch. The leader of the Government Accountability Office, Gene Dodaro, is here. And the number one story of the week, the riot at the Capitol, the national security nightmare no one's talking about. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. One of the government's most trusted organizations is celebrating a birthday this year. The Government Accountability Office is turning 100 in 2021. Gene Dodaro is Comptroller General of the United States, leader of the Government Accountability Office. Gene, welcome. Thanks very much for coming back on the program. I want to start by killing a rumor. There is a rumor going around that you've been at GAO for the entire hundred years of its existence. I, I, have, I have found a photo. The earliest photo of you I can find is from the 80s. How long have you actually been at GAO, and how has GAO changed since you started there, Gene? Well, Francis, I've been at GAO now about 47 and a half years. I came right out of college in 1973. Uh, Watergate hearings were underway. Uh, was very interesting at that time. Uh, GAO was in the midst of uh, its evolution from financial uh, management issues being our primary focus to uh, a focus on performance auditing, which is what we're known for today, which is evaluating programs, uh, making sure they're efficient and effective, accomplishing their objectives. And so, so we, we were in that transformation and it, it continued for a while. And then we started to move away from not only looking at individual programs, but the entire management operations and infrastructure of agencies. And then we were advising the Congress on some government-wide management reforms like the Chief Information Officer Act, the Clear Cohen Act that set up CIOs across the government, the Government uh, Management Performance Act. And so we got involved in many more you know, management issues. And then most recently, we've been adding additional disciplines as our mission has changed. We've added actuaries, scientists, uh, you know, computer security people. Most recently, we're you know, focused on expanding our uh, efforts on science and technology matters. We're hiring all sorts of uh, sorts of skills in that area, do technology assessments, and uh, help the Congress in a rapidly changing environment. I have been around long enough that I still call your organization the General Accounting Office from time to time. Uh, what has been the, the basis of that evolution? What have been the key components to what success you believe that you've had in that transition from being an accounting and auditing organization to being a, a broad, almost a consulting firm for Congress and for the agencies on management operations, cybersecurity, and the other things that you referenced a moment ago, Gene? Yeah, well, it's... Uh been a testimony to GAO's resilience and adaptability that we've changed and evolved as the needs of the Congress have changed, as the needs of the country indeed have changed, both domestically and internationally. And so we've always had a strong commitment to two principles that have held us in, in good stead over time, Francis. One, 
uh, is to have a dedicated, talented workforce. So that's been very dynamic and central to our involvement. As you mentioned, we're a multidisciplinary organization right now with a tremendous range of skills. We have uh, also arrangements, for example, with the National Academy of Sciences to help us in the science and technology area. But our workforce has been tremendous, and it's a testimony to the uh, both past and, and current GAO uh, workers during that period of time. So the, so the fundamental bedrock commitment to nonpartisan, objective, independent, fact-based information has remained. But the scope of our responsibilities across the entire federal government have changed and evolved to meet the needs of the Congress. And indeed, we're given many, many uh, unique assignments. For, for example, right now we're uh, doing monthly briefings and bi-monthly reports on the impact of the coronavirus rescue effort on public health and also the economy. What resources do you need to continue the momentum that you're outlining here, Gene? Well, I've continually advised the Congress that we could use uh, some additional resources. Congress has been very supportive. They've given us resources to expand in the science and technology area most recently. And in our Office of General Counsel, we're getting a lot of questions about appropriation law uh, matters and, uh, and other uh, legal uh, assistance that the Congress has been required. I'm going to continue to request additional resources to expand in the science and technology area and also in cybersecurity, Francis. As you've known from our past discussions, I've long been concerned about cybersecurity. We initially designated it as a high-risk area across the, fire, uh, the federal government in 1997. We added uh, critical infrastructure protection in 2003. Uh, we're still as a government not operating at a pace commensurate with the evolving threat in that area. So I want to have some additional resources in that area as well. Gene, you're one of the few leaders in government that serves a 15-year term. You still have about a third of your term left, and I want to talk about your agenda for the agency moving forward. More of my conversation with the Comptroller General of the United States, Gene Dodaro, when Government Matters continues. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back to Government Matters. The Government Accountability Office will celebrate its 100th birthday this year. Its leader has five years left in a 15-year term. Gene Dodaro is Comptroller General of the United States. He leads the GAO. Gene, thanks for continuing this conversation. In the time that you have left, what and I don't mean to imply that, it's, that you're running out. You still have five years. Uh, but what do you want to accomplish personally in leading this organization for the next five years? Well, Francis, I uh, set out uh, during my tenure to do several things. One was to make sure GAO was always postured to address the most important national issues facing the country. You'd be hard-pressed to find a national issue that we're not doing some work on uh, at, at the moment or have done work on in the past. I've uh, strengthened our strategic planning, our strategic foresight work. I want to continue to do that to make sure we're postured because there's a lot of uh, evolving and emerging issues that need to be addressed. And it's better for us to anticipate and do the work ahead of time if possible. Uh, secondly, I want to continue to focus on our high risk series, which we've had in place since 1990. These are the greatest risk across government. 
um, focused on not only identifying the risk, but helping the agency solve these issues and get as many issues resolved and off the list as possible. Third, I want to continue to press uh, for the government to have a plan to get on a more fiscally sustainable long-term path. Uh, I've made recommendations to change how we set the debt ceiling approach, but we need a plan uh, to deal with our long-term debt and sustainability issues. In the short term, we need to do everything possible to deal with the pandemic, uh, both from a public health standpoint and from uh, an economic uh, recovery standpoint. Uh, but once we're stable, we quickly need to pivot to a plan to address the long-term issues so that we're in a position to deal with future emergencies, to make a wise investments in the move forward. And lastly, Francis, I would just say, uh, I've been focused on succession planning at the GAO to make sure we have a workforce that's postured for the 21st century. I've given a great emphasis to diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. I'm very proud of the fact that we've been the best place to work uh, for the entire time of my tenure. And, uh, and we've been number one rated among mid-sized agencies in our support of diversity issues. So we, we, we need to be diverse, not only in uh, expertise and technical skills, but also by race, gender, et cetera. And we're doing very well in that regard, uh, but it needs to have continued work. My belief always has been is that GAO needs to be representative of the American people and, the, and representative of the elected officials that they uh, focus on. So I'm very focused on leaving the organization strong so that we're in a good position for the next 100 years. And, and I don't think anybody can have uh, any rumors I'm going to be there the next 100 years, but my wife will assure me that that doesn't happen. I, I have every confidence that Mrs. Dodaro will make sure that you're not there for the next 100 years, Gene. What have you done personally, though, individually, or what have you done collectively to make sure that GAO stays where it is? Because I know personally, anecdotally, the evidence that I see is that morale there is very good. People like to work there. People want to stay there for a long time. What do you think the reasons for that success are? Well, the reasons are an unwavering commitment to public service and the ability at GAO to make a difference. We've worked to help save hundreds of billions of dollars, make thousands of improvements in public safety and other important operations of the, of the, of the government. Uh, and and so, so it's a very satisfying job. But uh, it, there are several things that are key, Francis. Number one, I work hard to have good bipartisan relationships with the Congress. We need the outreach. We need to have a solid foundation that reinforces our nonpartisan status, that understands what the priorities and issues are of the Congress as, as responsive so that they will act on our recommendations, which they do on a fairly regular basis. So we need to press forward there. Within the organization, uh, communication is very important. Uh, since we've been in this pandemic, it's I've uh, and my executive committee, we hold town hall meetings uh, on a monthly basis. Uh, in the beginning, we were doing it every couple of weeks to communicate with all GAO people in, 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 uh, you know, in conference calls and in communications, et cetera. We take uh, very uh, seriously employee feedback that we receive. 
We've got good relationships with our union and all our employee groups. So I'm, I'm very, very uh, committed uh, to the GAO people. You know, we have one of the most talented, dedicated workforces among audit organizations in the world, Francis. And I do a lot of work internationally to try to help audit organizations in other countries develop their capacities, as well as state and local auditors here in the IGs. Uh, but uh, we have just tremendous people, and I, I care for them as I care for my own family. And uh, it's very important uh, that uh, they understand that and they know that I'm looking out for their well-being and also the well-being of the organization as a whole to continue to effectively accomplish its mission for supporting the Congress and carrying out their constitutional responsibilities, but also uh, concomitantly improving the performance and accountability of the federal government for the benefit of the American people. And people appreciate that. Gene Dodaro, thanks very much. I appreciate your time today. Congratulations on a hundred years of work at the Government Accountability Office, not all by you. <laughs> Thank you, Francis. I appreciate it. My best wishes go to you and your family. Take care. Up next, the number one story of the week straight ahead on Government Matters, chaos at the Capitol and the potential national security risks. You're watching ABC7. And now the number one story of the week. The Capitol Hill police have arrested at least 80 people for rioting at the Capitol Wednesday. It could be a long time and maybe never before we know exactly how many people entered the Capitol building and whether any operatives from U.S. adversaries were there. Tom Warwick is a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of, of Homeland Security for Counterterrorism Policy. Katrina Mulligan's Managing Director for National Security and International Policy at the Center for American Progress. She's former National Security Policy Analyst at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Folks, thanks very much for joining me. Katrina, I want to start with you. We have no evidence of this yet, but how plausible is it that some bad actor could have been mixed in with that crowd, gotten into the Capitol building on Wednesday? Unfortunately, it's more than, than plausible. It almost certainly occurred. I mean, there are more than 100,000 um, foreign intelligence uh, officials that are believed to be um, living in the Washington, D.C. area. And an event like um, the event that, the events that occurred um, just the other day is exactly the kind of situation that a foreign intelligence official would would be seeking to exploit for these sorts of purposes. I mean, it was widely known and understood that there was going to be an attempt to sort of lay siege to the Capitol. And um, any opportunity to go inside of the Capitol building of the United States, you know, the United States of America, um, and, and to have access to computer equipment and files um, and, and possibly even, uh, you know, personal devices all of that is a goldmine um, and really a CI, a counterintelligence nightmare for, for the United States um, intelligence community and for the Congress. Tom, there are two risks, it strikes me. The risk is what uh, someone might have taken and the other risk is what someone might have left behind, both from a cyber perspective and a, and a, and a kinetic perspective. What should people be thinking about now regarding securing uh, possible occurrences like this in the future for both of those possible risks? One of the things that, that uh, is supposed to happen after a breach of security like this is an assessment of the damage that was done. Uh, and I think in this case, it's going to be important that there is a public accounting, not just a 
private and classified one. This is precisely the kind of situation uh, that Congress needs to take a very hard look itself at what happened. Uh, clearly, the intelligence and security agencies of the U.S. government uh, need to both make sure that something like this can't happen again. Uh, there are, as you would well imagine, a number of, of uh, security measures that were in place that uh, protect some of the more sensitive systems on the Capitol grounds. And the way lockdowns are put in place uh, is to try to secure some of those areas first. But I really do want to emphasize what Katrina said, which is uh, adversaries can pick up things that are not in and of themselves highly classified and put together a very highly classified picture of what the people in the Congress are thinking, doing, and especially planning, because that knowledge of what Congress might be doing in the future is hugely important to our adversaries. Uh, and even countries that we wouldn't think of as adversaries that really want to know uh, what is Congress planning on doing about human rights abuses in China? Uh, uh, what is the plan for how uh, uh, the Democrats who are coming into office would recommend uh, to President Biden that he handle some of these sensitive national security situations in the Middle East with Russia. Uh, these things are going to be highly interesting uh, uh, to our adversaries, and they don't have to go after the most classified secrets. They can go after, as you say, cell phones, laptops, papers left on desks as people are evacuated. Uh, and that's why this is such a dangerous situation. Katrina, as, as Tom alluded to, and I, I believe he's correct, uh, a, a public accounting of this will be useful. But how expansive and how feasible is that, given the potential sensitivity of some of the information that's involved? I mean, the, the simple reality of any counterintelligence investigation is you don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, what we what we do know is that um, hundreds, if not thousands of people, um, unauthorized individuals were in the Capitol, were in, um, you know, chambers and offices, had access, unfettered access to um, to equipment, um, you know, some of it sensitive, some of it not. But, you know, we it is very difficult to know with any kind of certainty um, without doing total forensic analysis. You know, all it takes is, a, is the right thumb drive and 15 seconds. And, you know, it's not just about what they may have taken um, the day they were in, uh, in the chamber. It's also about what they may have installed on systems that will have to be replaced um, and, and, you know, what they may have gotten access to files and data um, from you know long ago or that could extend far into the future. Tom, that was the that was something that occurred to me on Wednesday afternoon in the wake of the solar winds uh, cyber hack. We don't know what some and that's the reason I, I mentioned earlier, we don't know what somebody might have left behind, plugged into some system or something like that that's opened a back door. Is there a way to ascertain through forensics or some other technique that we can say without a doubt at some point in the future all the systems are now secure again. Uh, I wish there were. Uh, in fact, you know, there are uh, methods and techniques that the government has that go beyond what's available to ordinary users like us uh, to protect our home computers. Uh, but this shows why it's important uh, for uh, the executive branch to really have a handle on civilian network cybersecurity. The whole solar winds episode showed the danger of uh, uh, illicit access to unclassified government systems uh, and what an intelligence goldmine that was for Russia. Uh, the other thing, too, I want to point out that, that 
Uh, as bad as this is, the one thing that it will also do is enlighten our adversaries into what they should try to do. Uh, God forbid there should ever be anything like this happening in the future. Uh, so even for those security services who are a little slow and didn't think of this as an exploitation opportunity, I guarantee you there are people in foreign capitals right now figuring out how they would try to better exploit the next time something like this happens again. And so that's why it's so important that, that the strongest measures need to be put in place now, uh, uh, both to monitor groups that might cause such a demonstration as this, uh, and to make sure that that uh, any future incident like this uh, is is prevented from getting access to these kinds of even unclassified systems. Katrina, thirty seconds. What will you watch moving forward? The costs. I mean, I think we already have seen um, completely unacceptable costs in terms of losses of lives um, and and you know loss of confidence in our democracy. Um, but I think as Tom and I were just talking about, there are these other costs that that we need to factor in to what just occurred. Um, and you know, the even just down to the replacement of you know computer systems across the Congress, which is what I would be recommending because um, it's the only fail-safe way to be sure that we aren't you know continuing to be compromised. Katrina Mulligan, Tom Warwick, thanks both uh, both very much for joining me. I appreciate your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every one of our programs by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.